Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. morning to you. I hope it is a good and glorious morning. Um, you know, we woke up, so it's good and glorious. There you go. Um, I want to lead off this morning with a brief conversation about character and characteristics. So we, um, we have character, like each one of us possesses character, the qualities or the traits that make us individually unique and recognizable. How you distinguish me from everyone else. Uh, are these character qualities or traits? And sometimes you might say, well, she's quite a character. Like, right, those are the ways in which we think about the constellation of traits that make a particular individual unique. Um, and then there are characters, which is like that group of individuals who make up a cast in a drama. The, in, in dis- the, the way that we distinguish one character from another character, right, then they have a cast of characters. All of that points to characteristics, those distinguishing marks of an individual. And so I want to just pause there for a moment and get us to dwell on or consider what are the characteristics that distinguish the character of God's people from all other characters? So let me ask it again. What are the characteristics that distinguish the character of God's people from all other characters? Another way of asking it, what are the marks of a true Christian? How do you recognize Christian character? What are Christian characteristics? So I served on a teaching team in a children's ministry many, many years ago now. I think this list comes from like 1994. I know, that's a long time ago. We used a list of... What, what? according to my little records in my file folder uh, that says Victoria on it, which is why I think I can mark this in time because that's when I was living and serving in Victoria, Texas. <clears throat> so 49 character qualities in a year of Christ character development in our children's ministry. And so on that list are, you know, things like alertness, being awake, being on the lookout, being aware of what's taking place around me so that... I can have a right and ready response to it versus unawareness, attentiveness, sort of acknowledging uh, the inherent dignity and worth of every person by the Christian's incarnational ministry of presence, like being present in such a way that it demonstrates that the person before me is, is not just a creature, um, but a, but a person destined to live in all eternity, uh, e- you know, e- either in the glory of God's presence or in the very reality of hell itself. Like, right, I, I'm going to give my divided, undivided attention in this moment to this person. I'm going to be attentive to their concerns um, and to the needs of their life because, it, it, because eternity matters in this moment. So attentiveness versus unconcern. 
Avail- availability was something that we talked about as well, like recognizing divine appointments, that people matter more than anything that might be on my agenda today, um, and, and that God has set appointments for me that I don't yet know about. And so being, again, alert, aware, attentive to, and then available for whatever it is that God has planned for this day for me as an individual. And then there would be things on our list that were, um, you know, maybe not surprising, um, compassion versus indifference, contentment versus covetousness, creativity versus, uh, you know, sort of a a lethargy of uh, of approaching things with, um, well, that was my don't just go for the sea, right? Like, I, I want kids to be creative and applying all of the good, great gifts of God to everything, not just sort of seeking to pass, get you know, get the grade and move ahead. So there you go. Um, on and on and on. There's 49 things on our list. And we we touched on one using you know using a, a scriptural story and a scriptural character, a character from scripture who demonstrated those traits, you know, each week for for a year, um, and ultimately it came down to this. <clears throat> it was a conversation. It, it ultimately was a conversation about a life oriented to and integrated with the life and mind of Christ on mission for Christ. So a life oriented to and integrated with the life and mind and mission of Christ. And so that's a, it's an integration question, which ultimately makes it a question of integrity. And so we're going to talk about integrity and the integrated life that marks the character of the Christian. That conversation up next with Dave Burring. We'll be right back. Dave Burring is back from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. Dave, good morning. Hey, good morning, Carmen. You good? I'm good, man. I'm good. Well, I'm good because Jesus is good and I'm his. So there you go. That's a good thing. So let's talk about integrity. Uh, you have okay. a, a, a podcast uh, that's Integrity More Please. So what is integrity and um, how do I get more of it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I loved what you started with on character because really integrity is rooted in this whole area of of character. And I think uh, we need less people being characters and more people of mm-hmm. godly character. And uh, so I like, I like to start things. I, I don't usually go to the English dictionary first. That's kind of my you know, third step, I like to go to the Hebrew and the Greek from the from the Old and New Testament to say, okay, what did this thing mean when these men and women wrote this stuff? So, you know, when we think of um, the Hebrew, it it's kind of how we think about integrity. It means a condition of being without blemish or completeness, sincerity, soundness, wholeness. It gives us that whole um, dynamic of, of one's life being integrated. Like when I think of integrity, I think of, you know, when, when you and I are together, you're not one way. And then when you're with someone else, you're another way, your life is integrated. You're the same regardless of where you are. And interesting enough in the new Testament, the, the equivalents are the words sincerity, truth, the pure heart, or the single eye. Uh, I like this understanding to its simplicity of intention. And so I think when it comes to this whole area of integrity, it 
the bottom line for me, Carmen, it's living inside out. And I think oftentimes the way that we live is kind of outside in. We judge what's going on on the outside and then we kind of adjust and, you know, become chameleons in our setting where integrity is really living inside out. It starts with the inside and gets expressed outside. So when you say that, I am thinking about, uh, you know, Jesus's looking at people who were like whitewashed tombs, you know, mm. where he is critical of the washing of the outside of the vessel mm. or the outside of the cup, but the defilement that happens on the inside. It's not mm. that which goes, you know, the, that which we take in, but that which comes out of us that really matters. I sometimes characterize this to um, uh, to those listening. I sometimes characterize it as, you know, when the world squeezes us, what comes out, you know, because yes. what comes out is going to be what we're full of. Everybody's yeah. full of something. I want to be full of grace and truth, or I want to be full of manifestations of the Holy Spirit, evidence that, mm. uh, you know, my life is is not just Christ in, you know, in word, in word, but it is Christ literally indeed, not in my mm -hmm. deeds, but indeed in the substance of who I am. Talk with us about the word integrity. It, it occurs with some frequency in scripture. Let's talk about some of those um, places. Yeah. You know, a, a great place to look at it is in the book of Proverbs. It appears there a number of times. Uh, and the thing that I like about what it says is what is connected to it. So I'll give you a few of these. For example, Proverbs 2.7 says, He, God, is a shield to those who walk in integrity. I love that because even mm. if everybody else around me thinks I'm X, Y, Z, but I know I'm walking rightly before the Lord, He will be my shield. I don't have to be my defender. He will. Um, I like Proverbs 10.9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. Like who's not looking for that that place of security and peace in the midst of life? Uh, Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright guides them. That it, it's, it's one of those things that when we walk uprightly before God, there's that leading and guiding that we can follow that he gives us. Um, and then there's a couple of these, Proverbs 19 and 28, that it actually says, better is a poor person who walks in integrity than the one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. And the other says, better is a poor person who walks in integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. And, and as a parent and a grandparent, I love this one. The righteous who walk in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. In other words, the reputation of the person who walks in integrity is passed on uh, uh, to their children and the, the life lived in front of them make an impact on their lives. So, Dave, that's just not how the world that we live in mm -hmm. seems to be mm -hmm. measuring things. Yeah. So can we can we talk about the uh, when we come back? Let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's talk about how God, you know, measures the heart when the world measures so many different things, and uh, and what role integrity plays in all of that for the Christian. I'm talking with Dave Buring from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dave Buring from Lion Share, we're talking about integrity. We're desiring to be people who um, are fully integrated in mind and life with who Christ is. 
Um, but that's a process, and it's called sanctification, and um, mm. that's certainly the desire of our hearts. Dave, let's talk about some examples from Scripture. Who who does God refer to as people of integrity? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting look, a couple that I think we'd be most familiar with. One is David. Um, there's a passage in Psalm 78 where it says, David shepherded them with integrity of heart. So I want us to think about, uh, again, living from the inside out as a leader. And so because, you know, and, and we know that David made some, you know, really bad decisions, sinful choices, and, and yet he responded well to the Lord as he dealt with those things in his life. And, and God refers to him as a, as a man who shepherds or led his people with integrity of heart. I think we need, you know, more of that. Um, I love Acts 13, 22, where it later calls David a man after God's own heart. I, I love that. Um, Job is another one. And we see his integrity uh, listed four times. And as we know, um, you know, his wife, you know, recognized it as well. When she she challenged him to just give up, she said, do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. And later Job says, till I die, I will not remove mine integrity from me. And, and obviously we see the life of Jesus, an example of how he lived, you know, before the father. Uh, I think you know, we see the authority that he has over the enemy because of that integrity. Uh, I love Hebrews 4.15 as a follower of Jesus. Jesus was tempted in every way we are. Like, think about that. In every way we are, yet without sin. And he was also the Lamb of God without blemish, complete and perfect. So when we look at these things, we see a life integrated in Jesus. And I like to view that as all parts of one's life simply expressed without dissonance. In other words, there's not this internal conflict. So I think those are some of the people we can see there in Scripture. I think about um, people in my own life who, you know, I can, I can look at their life and I can say, okay, there were places where they lived in poverty by the world standards, but they were people who walked upright in the presence of the Lord, and they lived with such integrity that they are the people of whom I have no question uh, that uh, that upon their arrival, uh, you know, the Lord was able to say to them, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, I just think that there there is this, uh, this question of whether or not Jesus is going to recognize us. And if he if he doesn't see enough of himself in us, is he going to recognize me? Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, there's this heartbreaking verse where Jesus says, you know, you 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 called me Lord, Lord, but I don't know you. I don't know you. Like if he doesn't recognize himself in us, how Christ like are we? How um, how integrated with Christ are we? Can he recognize his mind operating in my mind? Can he recognize his spirit operating in my spirit? Can he recognize his mission um, as he looks at the way I live and move uh, in this world. And that, for me, is a much bigger question than which side of uh, history am I on or, um, you know, how does the world perceive me? Uh, I am much more concerned about whether or not Jesus rec- Jesus recognizes himself in me when mm-hmm. I arrive fully in his presence. Yeah. You, you know, if I could choose one word that is the... Um, if you want to call it driving force of integrity, and without walking in this, we can't be integral. It's the word truth. It's if we're not walking in mm-hmm. truth, we can't walk in integrity. And that, that for me personally, Carmen, really simplifies it. 
So when I'm dealing with things in my own life and I'm having to make decisions as a leader or make decisions on behalf of my family, if I am not operating out of truth, it's not going, you know, integrity is not going to be manifested through my life. And so very much like what you're saying, I, I like to view this, view my heart as a garden that I need to tend truth. And as I tend truth, it's like, like, I don't think we're supposed to shoot for integrity. I think we're supposed to shoot for truth. And the mm. fruit of truth in our life is the outward expression of integrity that others see. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I think that the reference to, you know, what I sow and what uh, and then what God reaps. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think those are good. When I think about the 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 heart as a garden, you know, what am I sowing? Um, mm-hmm. To what light am I exposing it? Um, yeah. You know, what weeds am I allowing to to be planted there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sowing peace. I guess there's just so many, uh, so many conversations we could have about what does it look like for my heart and my mind to be cultivated yes. uh, in in ways that honor God and honor uh, honor Jesus. Um, talk talk about the um, the way this maybe works itself out um, in our lives because there is a part of this that. You know, when we talk about sanctification, there's a part of this where I'm going to participate actively. I'm going to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit because my life is obviously not yet fully conformed. It's not yet fully integrated. So how do I get from where I am to to that place of full integrity? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I agree with you. It's a it's a journey of a lifetime. And I think it's learning to be responsive to the Holy Spirit. And so let me uh, let me give two expressions here, Carmen, that I think can be really helpful to people. Um, We use these phrases from Scripture, grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit. Let me just define those, because sometimes they sound like these really heavy-duty spiritual terms, and we don't have a clue of what they mean on a Tuesday afternoon, and um, or in this case, a Wednesday morning. And so here's what they mean. Grieving the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit is saying, no, turn away from that. No, I don't want you engaged in that. No, I don't want you to do that. And we go ahead and say, yes, we're actually grieving the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the idea behind that is it makes God's heart sad. This, this brings it into a relational understanding of our walk with God. So grieving the Holy Spirit is when he's saying, no, no, and we go ahead and do it. While quenching is the opposite. Quenching the Holy Spirit's when he's saying, yes, reach out to them. Yes, give that. Yes, serve there. Yes, go on that mission trip, whatever the case may be. And we say no. And I think one of the things that's really important is allowing our hearts to dial into that place because where it leads us to is repentance and forgiveness. And repentance is that foundation of all spiritual growth in our life. And I think if if people listening today would start there, would pause and just say, okay, where have I grieved the Holy Spirit where he has said no and I've said yes? And where have I quenched the Holy Spirit in my life where he's been saying yes to me about something and I've been saying no? And a response there of repentance, maybe having to forgive somebody, whatever the case may be, realigns our heart in, in, in that inner garden that allows truth to have its place there that allows integrity to be expressed from our lives. All right. Um, when we talk about how we come to know Christ, um, 
Can you just talk about that just for a moment so that people have real clarity on that? I think that when we talk about um, these these things, we, we make the assumption that those who are listening are in Christ, have made that um, you know, have made that commitment. Can you talk about that step of faith as mm-hmm. uh, as essential to the beginning of this conversation about integrity? Yes. You know, Jesus loves us so much that when the Father sent him, he not only lived his life as, a, as an example and full of compassion and integrity, but he took our place, took my sin, took your sin, took our sin with him upon himself on the cross. And because of his death, we can have life. And today, if you're listening to this and you have never really thought about what does it mean to follow Jesus, it means you are invited into being realigned to how God originally designed you, to walk with him, to know forgiveness, to get rid of the guilt and the shame. Only he can do that. He's the only one that can do that, but he wants to do that inside of you. And that is a simple response to him, even as you're driving this morning of just allowing your heart to call out and say, Jesus, I love you and I'm inviting you in. And Lord, would you show me those places of my heart where I need to turn? That's what the word repentance means. It's turning away from that sin and towards God. And the Bible promises us in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I want to invite you today, if you've never responded to Jesus, he's waiting. He loves you. He's died for you. And he wants you to fulfill everything that he's dreamed about you being and doing in your life. Amen. Dave, thanks as always for joining us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day. You too. That's Dave Buring from LionShare. You can find what we talked about today at lionshare.org. We'll be right back. All right, what in the world is going on around the world? Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News brings us up to date next on India, Lebanon, Iran, and uh, and some good news from Haiti. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When was the last time you and your family laughed so hard you couldn't control yourselves? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Most of the time, teens are like an emotional time bomb. They walk around with a short fuse, just ready to explode. So if you don't want your home to feel like a minefield of tension, try finding ways to laugh just a little bit more. For example, ask everyone in your family to come to the dinner table with a joke to tell. Everybody needs a break from the pressures of life. So have fun, lighten up a bit, and quit making every conversation so serious. The old proverb is right. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. All right, we'd love to catch up with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. And so, uh, Ruth, welcome back. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So we have um, we have highlighted a number of headlines out of India related to 
um, the the coronavirus, but we have not highlighted news um, related to what else is going on there. So bring us up to date. Well, India is really facing quite a lot of challenge right now. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, Cyclone Takte hit the uh, West Coast and killed over 90 people, including mm. sinking a barge. And so there were people that were trapped on that barge. And, and that was considered a national tragedy in and of itself. But the cyclone was also hitting an area that has already been uh, struck with uh, several natural disasters and was trying to recover from that. This is also taking place um, in, in within the same 48 hours, uh, a two-day streak of the nation's highest COVID-19 death numbers. So they were dealing with the COVID-19 issues, trying to deal with evacuating people uh, on the in the coast of, uh, of the area that was going to be hit hardest by the cyclone in a time when people should be actually social distancing and they're having to crowd together. And there was just a lot of... Uh, Uh, concerned about what might happen on the other side of that. Uh, A week later, the other side of the country got hit by another cyclone, Cyclone Yas. And um, this is uh, the cyclone hit an area that uh, was also hit by a super cyclone last year. Uh, If you remember, uh, we were talking about some of the damages that were uh, left behind by Cyclone Amphan last year. And wide swaths of farmland and freshwater ponds have been affected by this most recent storm. So now you're going to have food uh, crisis issues, food security issues as a result of so much of the farmland being damaged by this storm. Um, You know, underlying all of this is uh, one of these situations that we've been kind of following with a partner of ours from Bibles for the World. And that is what's going to happen to the body of Christ on the other side of the pandemic, because as we have been seeing uh, the the numbers rising with COVID-19 numbers in India, we've also been seeing the body of Christ move. And I think we've talked about how much the body of Christ has been doing in India to meet some of the physical needs that uh, have resulted uh, from the, the COVID-19 surge. The problem is because nobody else was helping the, the sick and the needy and the poor during this time, it was the Christians who were exposing themselves, knowing they were taking a risk, and they fell ill. And as a result, according to Bibles for the World and our partner, um, the body of Christ has been decimated in certain areas of India because the, the church leaders who were out there meeting some of those physical needs have been getting sick and some have been dying. So, you know, larger numbers in, in this area uh, in the north and in the west have actually been seeing uh, church leaders dying at a rate where it's going to be difficult to replace them. And John Podaiti, who's uh, the head of Bibles for the World, just says, you know, right now it's going to take maybe uh, over a decade to replace the people they've lost in the body of Christ. And so um, this is this is a concern that you're probably not going to hear about when we're talking about the situations and the challenges facing India. Be praying, though, because Bibles for the World is saying we need God to rise, raise up new leaders. We need to be training them into positions to take uh, the places that are now left absent by people who were being the hands and feet of Christ in the worst of the crises. All right. I want to... Um... I don't want to move too quickly from that subject to the next one, but um, I don't want people to lose sight of nor lose track of what is going on with the refugees from the Syrian civil war. And I think that when we try to keep our attention on something for, you know, 10 or 11 years, noting that the Syrian civil war started in March of 2011, um, it's hard for us to sort of have something hold our attention long enough 
uh, or this long. And so when we're talking about Syrian refugees, we're talking about the world's largest refugee displacement um, in our time. We're talking about some six and a half million Syrians who are refugees, another uh, six million who are displaced within Syria. Um, and I mean, the the scope of these concerns is really great. Um, and, a, and a lot of those refugees are in Lebanon. Well, you and I have talked about Lebanon on several occasions and it's collapsing. So what's the status of Syrian refugees in a collapsing Lebanon? Well, uh, crisis within a crisis is how you can describe that. When you consider that Lebanon's population is almost 30 percent refugees, most of them Syrian, um, that's that's a significant number. I mean, we talked about the crisis in Greece when you saw the waves of Syrian refugees coming over. Um, Lebanon's situation is even more serious there um, because in Lebanon, they did they were already struggling with. Uh, having enough resources to meet some of these needs. And, and in Lebanon, refugees don't really have a status. They're not officially refugees within that country. So they um, there really aren't official camps, even though you see pictures of camps. Um, these are people who are, are either squatters or they are renting land. Um, so within the refugee crisis in Syria, you have people who are facing extreme poverty who are not officially allowed to hold jobs, not officially allowed to send their children to school, have no rights, have no access to services within the country. Uh, And that is why you saw so many uh, ministries stepping in and the body of Christ in Lebanon stepping in to meet these needs because you can't have 30 percent of your population um, unable to find a way to feed their families, unable to educate their children because at 11 years now, you're talking a whole childhood where people are falling, falling further and further behind in their education, and that makes them even more vulnerable on the other end to the promises that the extremists make to people. Um, and when they promise you know, a, a regular paying job and you don't have to have an education uh, and they are going to take care of your family, it's very attractive to swing young people over to their cause. And that is another issue that that is uh, of concern is that the extremists are already trying to recruit from that generation who have been disenfranchised, who have been uh, kicked out of the system, so to speak, uh, with their education, and they have no hope of a future. And what the extremists are promising is the hope of a future. So the body of Christ has had a lot of challenges coming into this. And then um, you're looking at uh, a refugee population within Syria that 90% of them live in extreme poverty. And it's hard for us to imagine what extreme poverty might look like on that end when you see people just, you know, having to pick up their lives and move to another country and really have no place to settle, but you're having to settle for 11 years, can't go home because it's not safe to go home and you're not wanted in the country that you're in. And that country is now facing an economic collapse. And, you know, the the, the resentment that is just rolling towards the refugees in waves from Lebanon is uh, is another serious situation with violence against the refugee population. Um, you know, you, you have crisis level coping mechanisms that only work for so long. And the body of Christ is is tired at this point because they have been giving and sacrificially for 11 years. Um, so a lot of our partners that are out there, uh, they are just trying to make sure that people don't forget 
what's happening. And don't forget, the body of Christ is still working and they're exhausted. And now they're facing uh, great challenges with a, a an ec- economic situation that um, that is on the verge of collapse. I mean, you're talking a currency in Lebanon now that has fallen 90 percent. Um, mm-hmm. And so the U.S. dollar goes so much further uh, than it used to, which is great. But it also means that there are a lot of other uh, hoops that people have to jump through when they're dealing with the donations and and banks that are closed all the time and things like that. Just be praying for the body of Christ there. You know, our partners, Triumphant Mercy Lebanon, um, Horizons International, Heart for Lebanon, they have been uh, activated, I would say, since uh, 2011 uh, when this crisis began. And uh, they took the brunt of the COVID crisis. Most of the ministry teams that were uh, working in the camps during the height of the COVID crisis, we're talking maybe a month or two ago, um, basically saw their teams decimated with people getting sick all the time and then trying to contain uh, the virus and the damage and and keep people uh, at least alive. because you know this is one of those things where it, the virus is is serious it doesn't always mean people are going to die the the resources though that are available to help people who have fallen seriously ill are just not available so right. like i said i keep going back to be praying um be praying for creative wisdom be praying that the body of christ continues to be generous to help people who are working in these situations as hands and feet of christ because we're not there um be praying for strength because this, these teams, teams are exhausted. Yeah. We're going to um, continue our conversation with Ruth Kramer. You can find more about what we're talking about today at missionnews.org. We'll be right back. All right, all kinds of news out of and related to Iran. We are going to catch up on Some mission news uh, from Iran, continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer. You can read what we are, read more about what we're discussing today at missionnews.org. Ruth, bring us up to date on what's going on in Iran. Well, our partner, uh, Heart for Iran, has just made us aware of some challenges that are coming their way. Um, Iran's Guardian Council uh, released the list of presidential candidates for an election June 18th. because the term limits prevent the current president from serving again. Uh, However, uh, the uh, Guardian Council was aware that their list of top picks were not popular with uh, the Iranian citizens. And so they've been uh, basically clamping down, taking measures to prevent folks from getting onto social media, uh, from, um, uh, you know, they're they're changing some of the Internet access, uh, access to virtual private networks, Google Play, Instagram, a lot of the other kinds of things that uh, allow people to speak their mind and and maybe organize protests because they know that the candidates that they have are unpopular and they want to prevent people from being able to uh, call for an election boycott or protest in any any other way. So the regime is basically cracking down on everything. And the longer lasting mass media blockage is what is concerning to the ministries, because in the weeks to come, that could pose a significant threat to uh, longer term plans and programming for ministries like Heart for Iran. Um, their their main media ministry is a television network that provides um, biblically based 
content to the Farsi speakers. Um, and so it's not just Iran, but it's all the Farsi speakers uh, that maybe have come from the diaspora from Iran. And um, they're concerned that this new directive is going to affect their ministry in the days ahead because it's not just going to end on June 18th. There's, there's going to be a longer standing thing because on the other side of elections, people may or may not be very happy with the outcome of that. And Iran will continue to keep things clamped down and restrict access so that people cannot protest. That doesn't mean that that's not going to, they're, going, they're not going to find a way around it, but it does mean that it's going to be much more difficult for traditional means of communication coming in out of Iran. And uh, it's going to be harder to communicate with partners because things are not going to be, um, oh, how shall I put this? The normal kinds of um, methods of communication that are thought to be secure are now in question. So when you're talking about uh, friends in Iran who are trying to get information out, uh, everything's being watched. All channels are being watched and restricted. So it is going to be much more difficult uh, in the days ahead. For ministries like Heart for Iran, they're just asking us as the body of Christ to remember them, to be praying for them. Um, they, they've got, a, like I said, a 25-year contract within the, the country to be able to continue working uh, and serving the, the people. Um, but it's just going to be a little bit trickier, going to be a little bit more difficult uh, as you see things um, being more censored in the days ahead. All right. If you, vis if you visit missionnews.org, uh, you're going to find all kinds of news from countries around the world where Christians are deployed by God to be advancing the gospel in a myriad uh, of ways. And so I invite you to do that. Um, Ruth, let's do this good news story out of Haiti. Haiti is always a challenge, and it always has been a challenge. So there are a lot of ministries that are trying to find ways to uh, help the people help themselves or find ways to um, decrease dependence on outside assistance. And sometimes what they need to do is basically give them a, a really good start and then let them go from there. For Haiti with Love is uh, one of those ministries, and they have a building program. Um, in the past, what they've called Pilgrim Houses has been a connection with a local uh, North American church. Uh, they've built a home for a family, and the family already owns the land, so it's just a matter of getting the supplies together and helping them build their own home. In this case, uh, there was a listener who contacted for Haiti with Love and said, I only have half of what it costs to do a pilgrim home. Can't afford a big house, but I can afford half of that. And so for Haiti with Love decided instead of waiting around to try to raise the other half of the money to build a family home, they would start a new program called Starter Homes. And it's basically a one room uh, type of home for a a uh, single mom with maybe her her kids there, and uh, it's it's a half the cost of what the pilgrim home used to be. So they are now able to take five thousand dollars, what this listener particularly had, and say and and build a single uh, room home that gets the family off the streets, that gets them out of the tent cities, and puts them in something where they can um, have some security, where they have some uh, uh, something for like material worth and collateral uh, so that they can actually continue to, to get healthier and stronger and back on their feet. It's just a neat way to be able to introduce so many other concepts of the ministry um, because there's so many touch points. There's a lot of opportunity to, to talk about the hope and faith that they have in Jesus Christ and that to make sure that the Haitians that they're serving 
are fully aware of the hope that there is in a future and the hope that there is in a savior. And so there's always the gospel aspect involved with these kinds of programs, the feeding programs, the burn clinics, the pilgrim homes, the starter homes, all of this kind of stuff. And and it just really starts um, with the, the willingness to go out there and say, I'm giving you a cup of cold water in Jesus's name. Well, the houses are beautiful. You can see them at missionnews.org. You can uh, connect with For Haiti With Love if you're interested in doing so. Ruth Kramer, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, if you're looking for an interesting read today in the Washington Post, there's an article about one of our guests. Uh, You will remember Jamie Ivey, who has joined us here on the program from time to time. She and her husband, uh, Deacon Ivey, are featured in a Sarah Pulliam Bailey piece in the Washington Post entitled Caught in a Culture War. This multiracial family navigates a predominantly white evangelical world. That is a very interesting and provocative read today in the Washington Post. Let's be praying that God uses it to reach the readers uh, of uh, of that particular publication. The Ivies uh, are real Christians, real evangelical Christians with a real heart for Christ and the advancement of the kingdom in this generation. So uh, to have them featured predominantly in uh, in the Washington Post, I think, is significant and something we ought not miss. God is using... Uh, every avenue of communication to advance the gospel. And that means that he's using us as well. And so how are you going to allow God to use you today to advance his kingdom purposes in this generation? Let's not just be people who pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's be people who do the will of God uh, in this generation, making the gospel visible and beautiful, substantial in the world that God so loves. We do have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next, we're going to be talking with our good friend, Bill English, and then we are going to be talking about the Christian left with Lucas Miles. So that's all up next here on this Witness Wednesday. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.